Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Project Tahiti. That's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. What's up? Hello. Well, I know you have some things you want to talk about. Yeah. Now, or should we do them at the end? Or um, in between? Maybe we could front load and just get it out of the way, I suppose. They're they're pretty short, I think, as far as what we'll discuss. They like like just kind of nice or interesting moments. Uh, one was an interview that uh, Mo and Jed did, like uh, where they just kind of did that postmortem on the whole series, and from it, a bunch of interesting stuff came from it. And, but one thing that jumped out to me was that they mentioned they were going to and had had previously been approved to use Modoc, the giant head. He kind of looks like Mister Potato Head, but he's like a crazy, mean, evil villain who works a lot of times with AIM. They're like Hydra, but not Nazis. They're just about science. Uh, so what? much, much, much better than Hydra. <laughs> yeah, but 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 they do have all the same like goals, you know, world domination, subjugation. <laughs> okay, I'm looking um, this up, and it's ridiculous looking. What I, the? F- I'm so proud of my version of him too. I drew one that was very popular, a, a picture, a, a piece of fan art that lasted a long time. I'll see if I can't pull it up and share it with you. Uh, but uh, he, uh, yeah, he's uh, been many different characters over the years, but they were going to make. Anton Ivanov into him, which oh. at, the, at one point they even referred to him as designed only to kill at the end when yeah. he's an AI and his, his, his acronym is the mental organism designed only for killing. Mode. Yeah. I just saw so, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so stupid. Oh, he has a, uh, he's a wife named Modam. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, and Patton Oswalt is going to both voice him in the cartoon, which is the only cartoon to survive the the recent like Hulu creation and cancellation before mm-hmm. they created a swath of series that also brought us Ghost Rider Hope and then took it away. Wow. Uh, Hellblazer is the only no not Hellblazer that's uh, DC. What is it? Uh, Hellstrom about the 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 devil's son Damian Hellstrom and his daughter uh, Satana are the only. Uh, wow. Uh, and Modoc are the only shows I think. Oh no, sorry. Uh, also, Howard the Duck survived, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, but Pat Oswalt is going to, I think, voice Modoc, and he's also they just announced he's going to write an accompanying Modoc comic book. So I think he's like, I think at this point, Pat Oswalt between that and uh being on as as the what quite qu- quadruplets? No, quintuplets. I can't. <laughs> Four of the quintuplets <laughs> as. Some of the canics. <laughs> he, he yeah. He's happy, I think. I think he's very happy with this Marvel relationship. It seems I think like, so, too. I think seems so. like he's made the best of it. So that was one bit that I thought was... At least it made me feel like, okay, it wasn't just that that, that it felt like they totally dropped Ivanov like a hot potato. They were told they couldn't anymore. Yeah. Because they, they developed MODOK to do something different at Hulu. So... That's one thing explained. The other thing was a nice little interview with Brett Dalton about everything where he said, you know, he never like was upset about anything, but that he didn't have closure sort of with his part in the show until the series finale. And he got to share in that closure with not just the other people on the show that he worked with and his friends, but his also he thought the whole fandom and it was nice to be able to kind of close that part in his life because it was what stopped him from being a guy who was getting by on broadway and doing commercial stuff to like someone who actually gets work and, and it, like it, it really changed his life in every way and he was super super appreciative to jed and mo and to the other people on the show 
and uh, it was just, it was really nice. He was very, it, it, it was like sentimental without feeling like sappy or fake or forced or whatever. It was just, it was just a nice th- a moment of reflection from him that seemed uh, really earnest and sweet. And it's so weird that he's so likable. <laughs> like it's very unnerving because he is a pretty good actor. It made me yeah. kind of hate him for so long. <laughs> I know. He's, you know, those are the, always the best actors when they're just like the sweetest person in real life and they, they make you hate them as their character. Like, <laughs> you, cause you know, they're good at it. Cause it's not, I know. they're not bringing any of their own charm to their character. They're like almost inverting it or something. Yeah. Uh, and the last part you mentioned very briefly in our previous uh, recording, uh, which is cool, but just that Elizabeth Hinstridge started with the finale doing a Zoom like like a recap deal or or live watch, and she's now including other people from the show and even fans afterward to ask their questions in person, sort of, quote unquote in person on Zoom. <laughs> but it's pretty cool, like and. I feel like we should try and do one at one point because she's now now doing just doing a episode by episode rewatch because fans asked her to and she said cool. It's like yeah. it, it, what a brilliant way to kind of keep fan ga- engagement alive, not just seven years in, but after the show's ended. Like I thought that was yeah. really cool. Well, especially because like I don't think anybody on the show is working right now because of the current pandemic situation. At least not right. that I not that I scene the vast majority of them have I to be like between yeah. stuff just because hollywood's just very slow yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe jed and mo are like right working on writing something but i mean they're not like f- nobody's filming anything so everybody's just kind of at home so actually it's funny because elizabeth henstridge and her i think they're married now now husband or fiance i'm not sure if they've got married yet but they've been doing they made like a youtube channel have been doing these like really entertaining videos like <laughs> for a couple months now i think and so she just kind of has used her youtube platform to like do this live watch uh and now rewatch thing and i don't know it's really cool i'm very and i think too like she i haven't watched any of her rewatch episodes yet but i saw she posted something like an article that was written about this whole situation and her because she has now like she directed an episode like she has a different insight because she's been an actor on the show for a long time and now she has like kind of a different insight into like the writing and directing process and like what goes on on that side of things too so i'm really glad that it's her doing this out of everybody because i think she brings a unique perspective to it um and that's very that is a really good point it's she has uh worn many hats already on the show and can look at it from different sides that that, that's even you know jet or mo wouldn't be able to yeah and i mean like um clark Gregg has also directed but i think because he's an older actor it's a little different like elizabeth henstridge is around my age i think she's either in her early 30s or like late 20s i think she's in her early 30s and so we're kind of like a social media generation. So she has like a, I don't know, a different feel for what this is and like what she can do, I think, as far what, as engagement. And, <laughs> and it's just been more of her career. It's like, you know, he can think of, I mean, not only can Clark Clark Gregg think of multiple characters and parts that people can recognize him from, I'm sure, and, and reflect on like being on a, a, a show that was long running 
you know, on CBS that like, mm-hmm. I think at least was nominated for, if didn't win a few Emmys and was starring, you know, Julie Louis Dreyfus. It's like, but, but like, I know people like my parents would recognize him as that first, but then there's yeah. also, you know, two Colsons really. There's his movie yeah. star Colson. Like, 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 there's so many things that I'm sure he could reflect on and think about, like eras of his career. Whereas, like, for Elizabeth Henstridge, this is this is what has made her career. Just like, uh, you know, uh, just like Brett Dalton was talking about, you know, and and, and it's I think it's very similar, and it's also just a a huge chunk of time too. Like it's very, it's so I feel like it's probably more, I don't know if it's necessarily more important to her, but just something that's more substantial as far as like what she, how it informs everything. And, and maybe as a result during specifically this COVID area being trapped inside, maybe something she's like reflecting on a lot. Yeah. Like I, I think it's very cool. Like she does, she's going to have a unique perspective for sure. And she's bringing in people from, the show like like she might end up having clark Craig on again you know as yeah. one of the people she talks with and it's going to be cool to hear the differing perspectives and the the people who are friends of and will work or and or worked on the show it's going to be neat yeah um i don't know she just seems like a very like thoughtful person too like i don't think this is by accident like i, I think this was like thought through like how she wanted to do this it seems like or at least now like more so than maybe at the season finale. Um, but um, it's it's funny. <laughs> Billy has been listening to a Scrubs podcast and it's Zach Braff and um, uh, Donald Faison. I'm only thinking of his, I keep thinking of his clueless character's name. Anyway, um, Donald Faison, they've, they've been doing this like re, essentially a rewatch podcast and they're inviting like cast and crew members and writers back on to like talk about the episodes. And so Billy has like had this like Scrubs revival and he's rewatching Scrubs, which I don't care for Zach Braff, so I don't like Scrubs. <laughs> so I have not been joining him. But I, it makes me think like, I know a lot of actors right now have a lot of time on their hands. So I feel like a lot of, there's going to be a lot of these like podcasts and YouTube channels where like people are going back and rewatching things that they've been in and like kind of going, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's kind of been fun, like content wise to like be able to, to engage with all this kind of stuff. So Billy has his, his fandom and we have ours. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny because, uh, well, well, I enjoyed Scrub somewhat. Like, I'm definitely not like, a huge fan, and uh, one of my friends who is like or was a very very big fan said with the with, with the, uh, COVID, uh, she started doing a rewatch and didn't enjoy it. Oh no! <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, it doesn't really hold up." I'm like, "Yeah, not everything does." Yeah, um, I I know Moesha is back. It's on. I don't know. It's on Netflix. I think. Mm-hmm. I think so. I I wanted to go back and rewatch it, but I like Black Twitter has been some. There's a couple people I follow that have been live tweeting their rewatch of Moesha, and they're like, "Ooh, this has not aged well." And I'm like, "Do I want to ruin my nostalgia? <laughs> like, or should I just leave it? Like, I don't want to like not enjoy enjoy it. I don't know. That's it's you know those. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm doing a couple of rewatches of different things, like especially if they're, you know, 80s or, or, or 90s, but even things in the early 2000s and a lot of comedies, it's never like 
hateful or violent or like venomous, but there's a lot of like insidious, I think like subtle homophobia and transphobia and a lot of the stuff I pick up on. And as always, as always, it feels like the stuff that's not super obviously racist is also okay. Like just like anything big bang theory level where it's like, it's, it is racist if you're paying attention, but it's not like, Hate again, not hateful. They're not like it's trying microaggressions to, is what it is. <laughs> like, yeah, but but, yeah. but 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 so across the gamut, you know, of, yeah, to, to South Asian and, and Asian and 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 Jewish people, <laughs> like, like yeah. basically anyone who's not just a wasp, straight white dude, yeah, yeah. a cis a cishet wasp. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and I feel like that's kind of like just you know sitcoms in general tend to use that kind of people like friends has not aged well either oh yeah i can't even i can't even really watch watch it anymore and i never was a huge fan i ended up watching the whole thing because my niece was very into it when she was very little but it's like she hates it now like she's like i can't watch friends or seinfeld anymore it's just like yeah seinfeld i feel like at least their backgrounds weren't like lily white but at the same time their main characters were it wasn't it, it's like marginally better than, than than Friends. Friends feels like like the casting director actively was like white supremacist, was like yeah. one of the whiter <laughs> New York. Yeah. Whereas Seinfeld just, just feels as short sighted and stupid as everything in the era, which yeah. is to say significantly. Yeah. <laughs> like the... Oh god. And also, I feel like Seinfeld doesn't use. It's not using like these really like glamorous, beautiful, like skinny, um, young actors. It's like everyday looking people. You know what I mean? It kind of like it's just these weirdos <laughs> instead of just like, oh, everybody's like white and like beautiful and skinny and fashionable and glamorous, but they're a waitress. It's fine. <laughs> like that's realistic. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about shields. Um, we are a part of the But Why Though podcast community, so be sure to check them out on Twitter at But Why Though PC and their website, But Why Podcast.com. We are super proud to be a part of their community. This is season five. Yes, yeah, season five, episode 10. I don't know why I had a brain fart there. Uh, titled Past Life. Um, I guess this title is referring to Yo Yo. Yeah, or maybe just the idea that they kind of cement the past, or yeah, like the stuff that we were trying to sort with, you know, ahead of time, and then once they actually had Robin introduced, but especially, you know, I I feel like maybe it's a reference (laughs) just to that loop in general, like just that past life, but uh, probably especially Yo Yo, I think. Okay, I didn't, I I forgot to kind of think through what season or episode 9's title was but i don't remember what it is now cuz i just closed out the document <laughs> yeah, whatever best laid plans so yeah whatever yeah i mean i guess it's not i mean it's not like wrong <laughs> you you would be like well, that makes no sense like, like it makes sense yeah, so so you get not, you get that much yeah, <laughs> you get that credit it's not great. Anyway, this episode... It's no tracks. <laughs> like, like That goes down... Any, any, any fictitious uh, any fictitious acronym. 
Trax is the standard for terrible episode it, names. It, it really is. It's the gold standard. <laughs> the bar can no, go no lower. Well, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't challenge that, but anyway. <laughs> That's true. I haven't looked closely at the ones following. Um, yeah, yeah. Me um, so this episode was written by Eric Lanaville, I think is how you say his name, and then directed by DJ Doyle. Uh, originally aired February 2nd, 2018. So the Zephyr lands at the lighthouse, and as we know from the previous episode, Cassius is ready for them. And so he has a team in place, the cargo bay door opens, and they walk onto the ship, and Cassius sees Sonara's body impaled on the pole in the cargo bay, and he's his bestie, his his other half is dead. Um, which I feel fucking terrible that she had to die. Like, really upsets me. No, it, she's so rad. Like, she, like, I wish she could have survived and like, I don't even need her to be here. That'd be cool. But like, just be around. <laughs> I don't know. And also, it's like fridging in the sense that like we get Cassius's like he unravels yeah. because of her death and. It's just, it's not like super, whatever. It feels very, very reductive, cliched, and regressive to me. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. And the fact that she was like silent, stoic, warrior, Asian. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's not great either, even though she's not coded as Asian on the show. You know, she's an alien, but that's also not great that she's covered up in makeup and she's a woman of color, because that's a thing. Anyway. And when because <laughs> the writing is better than the bar none worse versions of the shit we get all the time, because the writing is done by the team that, that has earned a lot of f- good faith and trust from us, and because the acting is good, like it's almost more frustrating because you get hints that there's a lot of potential, you know, I think. Like yeah, like yeah. in in the way she responded first to his brother and then to him, you know, and, and, and everything. It's like, I feel like there's a lot of depth there that is hinted at, mm-hmm. but never, never realized. And yeah. that's unfair because like you said, it is a woman of color. It is a, a badass warrior trope. And like, we've seen that is something that, that they've, that you could, you could, you could pin on may at first glance, but you couldn't, like say isn't she, she's not a, a well-developed character or well or a three or three-dimensional i think or fully realized character and it's a lot of that's because of the writing and a lot of that's because of the acting but it's like it's mostly because of the time and care put into it and when it's not given it's just not fair like because it's just so cliched it's like you i don't know, know. i want to look and see who wrote those episodes where sonara and Cassius are Connecting, connecting. So I wonder you get, if you get a little bit of, like peeled back the veil of yeah, their relationship. Fun games it has it's it's whichever one has like his brother. I think it's six and seven. The yeah, six it's six and seven. The unexpected arrival of Cassius's brother prompts in our battle, Daisy. So Clark Gregg directed that episode. And Brent Fletcher's uh, Brent, Brent Fletcher's been around from the beginning. He's yeah, one of the guys yeah. who like has moved up to EP, I think. So that would make sense. That that means he probably, you know, I don't know. He just has a lot of experience. I think he's a, like a closer relationship too with the the showrunners, and so I think I would I would assume that that Mo has a lot of sway. 
Well, and it's, you know, in writers' rooms, like a lot of the times the episodes yeah. are all broken down as a team and then just yeah. one person's the one who actually writes it up. That's true. That's true. I don't know who Matt Owens is. He's the one who wrote episode seven. Yeah, that's one that doesn't jump out at me. I'm sure he's done more than one, but he doesn't have a link on Wikipedia to his name, so he's not famous enough. <laughs> exactly. Brad Turner. I feel like he's directed many. I, I was kind of curious to see if there was a female writer somewhere in there. But Me too, but, but we, we know they are behind. Yeah, yeah. I know that Brett Fletcher has written really good. I think he wrote quite a few like Gemma episodes. I was thinking the same like thing. A lot of development with Gemma. So hmm, interesting. Anyway. Um, so uh, the shield team has, of course they're very smart. They have prepared for something like this. So they locked themselves in the containment pod and use the containment pod to get to the station and use the Zephyr as a decoy. But Enoch is still on the ship because he has to protect the time machine. <laughs> It's not a time machine, it's a portal. I forget well, who says that and what line where that comes from, that that was this episode or the other episode. But um, So Enoch is there protecting the ship, and he has one half of the monolith, and the, uh, the team has the other half of the, well, it's not the monolith, it's just like a piece of the monolith. But um, Enoch then puts it, puts the, the rock that he has, the part of the monolith, in the time machine slot, and they're just going to wait to get to Flint, and gonna leave so we think <laughs> it's a little more complicated than that um so uh mac yo-yo flint and tess are getting ready to go meet up with the team so that flint can build the monolith again and they can use it to, to create a portal it's like no we can't go because there's another human that was revived on this level i heard screaming in the you know in the area where i was revived and Yo-Yo is like, we can't leave. It's, a, it's an inhuman that's in pain. Like, I can't leave them there. So she's going to go find whoever it is alone. And <laughs> and our S.H.I.E.L.D. team that has just gotten back to the lighthouse, everybody has kind of their roles that they're going to play coming up in, in what needs to be done. Because there's inhumans that need to be saved that Kasais is going to try to use to, you know, against them. Um, this other inhuman needs to be saved. They need to get Flint to the rest of the team. Uh, Flint needs to get some rocks. Everybody has a role. Everybody has their orders. Um, and it's really cute because uh, Mac is really worried about Yo-Yo going off on her own to go save this inhuman. And, and you know, Flint is going with, with Mac. And so Yo-Yo tells Flint, take care of the big guy because he worries. It's really cute. <laughs> Mac is just like this this wor this worried dad now. <laughs> like it's He really he really is. <laughs> just like no no shooting guns. Like we have to protect. <laughs> you don't you don't get to be in battle. We have to protect you. But it is cute that like he gives Flint, you know, in that in um episode nine, like Flint gets a role, you know, to play with like the rest of the humans. It's just not like being on the front lines. So it's not that he's just like, no, you have to sit out and do nothing. It's that you just don't get to do this with us. Um, so Sias has brought Sonara's body to some room, uh, the weird spa room, and he's cradling her and he's talking to her and there's a Cree scientist in there and he's like, you need to fix her. And he's like, it's not possible. Like she is dead. 
Um, her anatomy is a lot more complicated than humans. Like it's just, she's gone. Says shoots him, and he's like, "Well, maybe you need to study the the what does he call it? The condition more more closely or something." Further, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, it's um, so crazy. It's such like a weird like to like 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 when like like a little kid defies their mom and is like, "No way" or something. And they go, "Oh, no way, you!" And they like try to throw yeah. back something that makes no sense at them because they're so frustrated. <laughs> it's like very much like, "Oh yeah, well, what if you're deader? Then maybe you know how to fix being dead better, you jerk." But like, and and I also like like it does work on some bullshit sci-fi level. But I love that like Kree are better than us or su- superior to us. Their blood makes us immortal, but they're not immortal. Yeah. <laughs> like, now, because of that line of from last episode that Tess says, like they use the blood of the eternal. Like I'm thinking, like is it? Is it not? I don't think it's like the Cree. I think it is though, because because that's the, because that's the same thing that they use. That's just what they used to bring Coulson back, and they 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 make a point of saying that this is the same thing that they used to bring Coulson back. Like like. like I think yeah. that they're just saying eternal, like it, because he does have a god complex now. It's like they're using okay. green blood; they're they're better than them. But it's like, and they're very long lived. You know, they live hundreds yeah. of years. They're not murdered or whatever. But it's like at the same time, you're murderable. <laughs> like, you're not so great. You're murderable. <laughs> oh God, that was a weird. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that was a very well written scene and i appreciated like the dialogue but it's a lot anyway because is now talking to sonara's body and it's like what should we do like blah 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 it's, um, it is very much like like i, I mentioned before his like willem dafoe moment mm-hmm. or whatever but it is like it's like willem dafoe when he's becoming green goblin and, like talking <laughs> to the helmet he's like talking to his dead friend like well what do we do and so <laughs> at, at one point i think it's like the next time that they revisit this spa mm-hmm. but his like thug chief like his like big Cree like soldier yeah. guy not 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 uh not really a, it doesn't seem like a good warrior but also doesn't seem like a scientist of any kind or whatever yeah. so, some mercenary kind of guy yeah. uh is like shouldn't we come with a plan he's like that's what we're doing like we're discussing plans <laughs> like while he's talking to her court like oh no like that's not what you want to hear like that's when you just like back out of the room slowly and just like, his face even is like okay <laughs> whatever you say boss <laughs> oh my god um so that actually in this scene this same Cree like brings in him the pictures that robin drew he's like this is all you found from the ship um and Kasai starts like thumbing through the pictures and he sees a picture of i forget what it was now but uh it was the i think it was the monolith if i'm not mistaken anyway he figures out that shield intends to return to the past and so that's why they're back on the station. Um, Kasaias is like, bring out my unhumans. And I guess he's brought the the trainer, Ty, I think his name is. He's a human. And Ty's like, well, you know, they're not trained. So I don't know how you know much use they'll be to you. Kasaias has this monologue and he goes over to the golden box and opens in, and opens up a vial. And it's Odium, which we were introduced to like maybe, what, three or four episodes ago? His brother mentioned it, so that seems about right, like episode seven or something. Yeah, and I remember you remembered what it was, and it's like the, uh, what is the, 
it's like the stuff from Fury Road where like it's essentially you you take it and it makes you like a crazy berserker. Berserker, yeah, there we go. And then you die, your heart bursts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like your last stand a fearsome last stand is what he calls it and so Kasaya's forces um, Ty the human the human inhuman trainer to take it and he his eyes turn black and black shit comes out of his mouth and he gets all crazy and starts yelling and he's gonna go be a berserker and kill people anyway um, Mac is talking to Flint and he's like man after this like I'm gonna take my bike on an open scenic road somewhere for a long time and Flint is like isn't that something that kids ride <laughs> and Mac has to educate him on what a motorcycle is he's like no imagine a rocket with two wheels and I was like this is so a biker converse what a biker would say about a motorcycle <laughs> I just rolled my eyes I live it's, with a it's very funny. <laughs> like, how dare you say a motorcycle is like a child's thing? It's the best thing ever. Anyway, I can see Billy having this conversation with someone like this. But anyway, he so he tells Flint, he's like, you know, you can come with us. He he's like, you would always have a place to stay with me and Yo-Yo. You would always have a home. Um, and I don't, I didn't put down what Flint. I did not take very good notes because I was like watching this episode and I was into it. So. If you could fill in some blanks, that would be great. Because <laughs> I don't remember his response, and I didn't write it down. I don't. I think he says no. I'm pretty sure. But um, Fitz and Simmons show up, um, and they have the other half of the rock, and uh, they they gotta they gotta get Flint to work here. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the team um, is rescuing the Inhumans, and they're taking out the Cree that are walking them down the hallway, and Deke. Uh, is using a gun and he's like dude guns are bad like you really shouldn't give these to people unless they are really good people and may's like yeah it's like they should have laws or something <laughs> which that's a that was a commentary on what was happening currently in this country um and yep <laughs> <laughs> gun control i'm sure this was you know written after some kind of school shooting or something like because those happen like all the fucking time so for now because nobody's at school Anyway, um, the inhuman trainer Ty comes up, comes for Daisy, and Colson's like, "Watch out!" And then Daisy like barely, you know, holds him off like before he starts trying to stab her. Colson shoots him. He does not go down. Uh, and Ty goes for Colson, smacks him against the wall, and Colson kind of like slumps against the ground. And Daisy's finally able to take him out and stabs the guy in the chest, and he dies. Colson gets up and he's like clutching his chest. But he says it's just a wardrobe man malfunction. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's what he says. <laughs> um. So Tess meets with Deke, and they're kind of having this like awkward, like, "Oh wow, yeah, you," you know. And Deke is being like, "Oh, you look good for being dead, or you were dead. Like, what the fuck?" And then Tess is just like, "It's really good to see you too. Like, it's okay. We can, you know, I died. We can." I have a new appreciation for like friendship and, and relationships. We can say that. And Coulson sees her and she, you know, Deke has walked away at this point and she just looks like very shaken still. Um, and she's getting ready to like fly a bunch of the humans uh, in the trawler, like away <laughs> to a different floor. Um, and Coulson goes up to her and he's like, you know, I've been where you are right now and it's, it's tough. Um, and they kind of just have this moment and she's like, I don't even know what's real. 
anymore. And he points at the humans getting into the trailer and he's like, that's what's real. It's like, what, what you can do to save these people is what's real. And that really just says a lot about Coulson right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> and how he has handled everything up to this point. So, well, then he's, and he says it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Tess goes to get on the trawler, and right before she closes the door, you know, the whole team, or some of the team is standing there and saying goodbye to her, essentially, and she's like, Coulson, you were right about fighting back. We can fight back. A little arc for them. Um, we just forgotten she even returned. <laughs> it's funny, because I remember us being really outraged that she was essentially fridged by being dead. I, I like how we just completely blocked out the fact that she does come back and, like, gets a full arc. Kind of, well, and, and and almost it, it it makes it better, but it still doesn't make the fridging okay. Like, well, like even like it's a fake out, fake exactly. out fridging too. Yeah, I agree. It's just I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it, but also I really like her character, and I like these moments that she gets to have at the end. Here, it's like she gets some closure. We get some closure with her too. Um, so Cassius gets. More bad news. You know, the Inhumans have been taken and the guards are dead and he's not happy. And he's still talking to Sonar. He's like, oh no, we, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And this is the scene that you were talking about where the guard asks for a plan. And he's like, we're discussing one right now. Like, he's like, oh running. shit. All of a sudden he's doing his best uh, Jimmy Stewart and Harvey talking to the imaginary <laughs> rabbit. And the guy's like, oh, wait. Oh God! And at the end of the scene, um, Cassius has decided he's like he goes to grab a bottle of odium. He's like, maybe there is a chance that I can still bring honor to the Cassius family. <laughs> or right, his, his name something is about he, he says something about, about glory too, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he's such oh, a yeah. oh, he's so crazy. <laughs> at this point, he's just full on crazy. Yeah, like like. Yeah. Like, like he's been megalomaniacal from the beginning, but but a lot of it feels like it is like a reaction and a front, you mm -hmm. know, a reaction to like abuse from his family and just a screwed up society. Like those moments that he like has one on one with Sonara, like there's like there's something more to him. But at this mm -hmm. point, it's just like no, he's just saying shit. Yeah. <laughs> he's gone. Yeah, so he is gonna go on his suicide mission and go out in a in a in a blitz of. You know, odium glory. <laughs> what what did he call it again? A fearsome last stand. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Um. So Yo-Yo is creeping through the hallway, and she finds that door from the end of last episode where Cassius's seer was, and so she opens it. And here's the other yo-yo that we've been waiting for for like the entire season that we could not remember when the she came. only thing we actually remembered. <laughs> and it's, she's here for one episode. And I legit thought it was much more than that. But I guess it's just one episode. <laughs> I think it was just like so horrific that it scarred us. And we thought that she played a way bigger role <laughs> in this part of the season. Because <laughs> well, it is entire. I think it highlights how entirely unnecessary it is. Like oh, to, to do this ever, much less do it the way they did it. Yeah, yeah. And so this yo-yo has been brought back over and over again. Like she talks about how, like they would when they didn't find me useful, they would kill me, and then they would bring me back, bring me back when I was useful again. And she talks about how they've been stuck in this loop. Um, and she tells our yo-yo she's like i'm not sure if you can stop the loop like she's talked to herself about this more than once <laughs> which is 
Ah. <laughs> Horrifying. Like, ugh. Um, meanwhile, Enoch, uh, who's still on the Zephyr protecting the machine, radios the team. He's like, the Kree have found me. And he, they're like, how long do you have? And he walks over to the door very calmly and just, like, shoots the Kree through the door. He's like, approximately 12 minutes. <laughs> um, and so they need to go help him. And Deke volunteers to go. He's like, okay, I'll go. Like, you know, and Daisy starts arguing with him. And she's like, I'll go with you. I'll help you. And he's like, no. Like, you need to go be with the rest of the team because you need to be ready to go back into the past when everything's ready to go. So you can't go with me. And they're just, like, arguing back and forth. And um, she's like, look, I'm just trying to help you. Like, why are you such an asshole? <laughs> like, and they, I don't know, they just have this, like, really long exchange about, like, how Deke is like, you know, like, you have this instinct to play the hero and to, like, protect people. And he's like, why would you want to, like, just go on a suicide mission and die here in the future? Like, maybe you, like we need somebody like you with that hero instinct to save everybody in the past, future, whatever. So anyway, he starts walking away and Dizzy's like, it was nice. It was almost nice knowing you. And he's like, you're a pain in my ass. And this is how they, they, they see each other off. <laughs> um, and this is where he falls in love, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and so meanwhile, Gemma is, um, I don't know how Gemma became, she was like such a bigot about Inhumans. And now she is the one who coaches Inhumans on how to get in tune with their powers somehow, but whatever. That's cool. That's fine. Um, so she's, coaching. <laughs> <laughs> she's, I mean, that's a really good way to like get away from bigotry, I guess, but um, it's interesting. So Gemma is coaching Flint how to get in tune with the stones. And she's like, what do you feel? What is different about this stone than from the rest of the stones that you can feel? And he's like, I can feel patterns at like a micro level. It's like they were intentionally like there's space. There's intentionally carvings in them. And it's like, that's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but the career coming. Oh my God, this scene, the career coming. And meanwhile, while Gemma and Flint are doing this whole thing, Fitz is like setting something up in the background. And so they hear the Kree coming and Fitz is like, we got to move. He pulls up this metal wire. And as the Kree start walking through, it beheads all three of them. And Gemma and Flint are just like horrified. And Fitz is oh, like, <laughs> it's gruesome. They do a really good effect. And it's like some of them, it cuts them off at the neck, but, if, but like the guy who you actually see the head from the profile, like slide off. It's like at an angle going up, starting like halfway across his chin and then going yeah. like the back of his, like of, of like his cranium. So like, yeah. it's like this, this harsh angle. And like, I just, I just love it because it's so the, like like the art direction on it is so like it was makeshift he was doing this as fast as he could like it was designed he didn't know how tall they would be or whatever it's not perfect yeah. but at the same time he just beheaded three of them and like yeah. and and Jimma is Jimma <laughs> is horrified and he's not dismissive of it he's just there's he's this like well we we weren't gonna be able to kill all of them we had to find a you know this was the way like yeah and and, and he said he said See, we couldn't kill all of them and we needed to 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 scare the ones who would follow into being afraid. Yeah. You know, and she's like, so. Yeah. She's like, was that really necessary? Like, what the fuck? Like, and clearly this is like bringing up that, Hey, he was like evil Nazi dude in the framework. And that is coming back 
to be useful, I guess, but it's also very horrifying. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Ugh. Poor Gemma. <laughs> She's just super disturbed. Um, so we go back to Yo-Yo and Yo-Yo, and other Yo-Yo is telling our Yo-Yo that she felt helpless because she wanted to change Coulson's choices and she couldn't. And then we go to Coulson and May are, and Daisy are getting in the elevator to go to be with Flint, you know, who's going to build the, the monolith again. And Daisy's like, all right, guys, she doesn't get in the elevator with them. And she's like, I'm not going to go. And Coulson and our May are like, no, it's fine. Come with us. And she's like, no, you know, it's the right move. Like, we can prevent all of this if I just stay here. Like, this is the smart thing to do. And she's like, talks about how, like, yeah, I don't have my powers now, but somewhere down the line, we'll find a way for me to get them back because it's going to, we're going to need me. And I don't want that. And she's like, Coulson, you trained me to fight. You trained me to be an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and to make the right decision. And this is what I, this is my, I'm making my stand. And Coulson's like, nah, I didn't train you to fight. May trained you to fight. I need you to lead. And he shoots her with an icer. So obnoxious. This is not the time to to get particular with semantics, Coulson. <laughs> but again, we're thinking about like Coulson is dying, you know, and of course, like there's some selfish part of him. Like not only like does he want Daisy to be with him as long as possible, like he wants as much time with her as he can, but he's like making decisions for people at this point because he I feel like he sorry I'm realizing I spelled Daisy wrong in the notes it. Um he I, I feel like he's realizing that like he knows there's like a certain end game and there's not enough time for him to sit there and explain and like teach people through things. It just needs to be done. <laughs> like we talked about it a little bit last episode, but this is I think prime example of that where it's like part selfishly, like I want my pseudo adoptive daughter around for as long as possible while I'm here. And also like there's a teachable moment here and we don't have time to teach you through it. Like you just need to fucking come with me and then we can deal with it later. (laughs) And as this, as this is happening, there's voiceover of other yo-yo saying Phil Coulson is dying and you need to let him. And we see, we get a close up like of Coulson's like chest and we see like this black, like this, this black inky looking stuff, like right under his skin, like branching out from his heart. So other yo-yo is trying to send our yo-yo away. She's like, you need to go, like, go fix this, you know, stop the loop in the loop. And Arya is like, no, you need to come with us. And she refuses. And to get her, to kind of scare her into leaving, she stands up and her arms are revealed. And she doesn't have arms. And our yo-yo is like, holy shit. Okay, I'm going. What the fuck? And also, like, uh, this is, like, what we've kind of been talking about for many episodes about how fucking... Like, why is this the one thing that you had to, like, stay true to the comics to be about? Yeah. You know, it, I mean, like, it doesn't add anything. It, it was very recent at the time. Like, it, like yeah. there was no reason to do it. I mean, I mean, not recent, but just it, it's a late addition to the character. It's not yeah, something yeah. that was intrinsic to the character. And it sucks because, like, 
people, you know, vets, people do lose lose limbs. Like there's a story, a character named uh, Flash Thompson, who you know is uh, played by Tony Rivoli, I believe, in the uh, in in the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's this bully in in the in the old comics, and he ended up going and becoming a high school gym teacher and becoming a Vietnam vet. And he came back and he was kind of a changed person. Became friends with Peter in addition to being a fan of Spider-Man and stopped being a bully. But eventually, he re-enlisted during the Gulf War. Uh, his character, you know eternally young you know because of the way that stuff works even yeah. though should <laughs> be, <laughs> they both they both should be quite old right because comic books are insane yeah. but he he lost his, his legs and when he came back there's a whole story where you know he becomes the new venom and so he is able to still be a superhero and whatnot but he also like still lives with his prosthetics and is a as a person who actually lives as people live with you know prosthetic limbs and it was written with care i think and sensitivity and thought and it was positive representation but also realistic representation and something that they do improve on like we talk about like i think they try to do a better job as time goes on but this moment feels unintentionally very ableist and very like just sensationalized it's not that this stuff shouldn't happen but it should be done with care and thought and i mean absolutely it should these stories should be told but not at the expense of people, you know, who've lost their limbs, you know, in service or, or even just by freak accident, you know, it's like, that's not, it's not fair to people to, to have to, to feel like a freak or feel like their loss is something that is like pain that should be commodified for our entertainment. Like, no, no, not good. I know. And I don't know. I just remember like, I remember you texting me because I think you watched this episode before I did, like when it was airing live and you were like, just to warn you, something really shitty happens or like it's revealed from the comics. And like, I remember me and Billy watching this and just being like, what the, there's a lot of horrifying things in this episode. Like the whole thing with Fitz, like this thing with Yo-Yo. And it was just like, what the fuck? Like, and it, and we, it obviously Yo-Yo doesn't lose her arms in this episode. So it's like, when does this happen? And like, why? And like, we were just like, reeling from it fuck this is a horror show like this is just yeah yeah it's unnecessary and for all the the reasons you just said it's like unnecessary like there's you know yo-yo's origin story is traumatic enough from like growing up like trying to be being part of a resistance movement and also being like discriminated against by her own friends because she's an inhuman and i don't know the the things that i get that like we have to put our characters through shit but yo-yo's already been through shit like i don't feel like she needed this kind of shit and it's just kind of disrespectful to amputees and like you said vets that are amputees it's just and the fact that it's not really like fully acknowledged until what season seven right the first episode like we kind of talked about it a little bit like (laughs) yeah i think so (laughs) like a little bit but it does the whole sci-fi thing where it just puts a band-aid on it with like prosthesis so i don't know like, I, I think we talked about it with our episode with Jacqueline. Like, we don't have the experience to speak on this necessarily. And, like, what, what, whether this is meaningful or not, like, eventually. But I just, I don't know. We just need to make sure we 
discuss like why this isn't okay and why we think it's not okay. Anyway, and, well, and just it, but like 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 I don't I don't, I feel like we don't have the authority or you know or bandwidth to speak on it with authority, but I do feel like it's just clear that this the way it's introduced right here doesn't feel right, and it doesn't feel like it's like it doesn't feel right because I'm uncomfortable or something. It feels like it's not right because they're not doing right by the subject matter and by the people who are actually uh, you know in that position. And but right. but I don't but I don't feel like I have enough you know understanding to say anything with any confidence beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think you're right. Um, also it's putting a woman of color through trauma. That's like unnecessary trauma that doesn't really like have that much of an impact on her story. It has a little, like they kind of address, like when she's recovering, I feel like her and Mac have a development moment in their relationship where she has to like trust him to help her. But I don't know. You could have done that a different way. It didn't have to be this. <laughs> she could have just been like, in, like had a pole through her leg, like May. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just... Show someone is battle damaged, you know, without uh, having them go through that. Or you could go have them go through, you know, a disfiguring loss and show and just not reveal it in such like a dun dun dun, like in such a, such, a, such a way where it does feel sensationalized, where it feels. Yeah like it's pain for entertainment. I don't know. I, don't I wish know. I knew I'm, more about it. Yeah. I wonder if that's, if, if we get to these episodes, if we can ask Elizabeth Henstridge a question. <laughs> like, what was the thought process behind all of this and including it? Anyway. Um, so uh, Flint is, I don't think I wrote this down because like I said, these notes are terrible, but um Fitz gives, he's like, hey, how are you with confined spaces? And he's like, oh, I'm fine. And he's like, how are you with unconfined spaces? And we don't get an answer to that because now Flint is floating in space um, with the with Deke's helmet, which is a, a very similar Star-Lord helmet, as we mentioned, like in episode one of the season, I think, one or two. Um, yes, it looks like Star-Lord and Iron Man had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's floating in space and he's starting to gather these rocks that are floating around him because earlier Gemma talks about how, like in another scene, she talks about how the monolith stone is mostly limestone and um, the earth's crust is largely made out of limestone, which that's why, you know, all, everything that's, all the rocks that are floating around are part of the earth's crust that was blown apart. So he's gathering limestone rocks from space. Um, and Coulson meanwhile, is carrying unconscious Daisy, and there's this, it's, everything is going in slow motion, and there's this dramatic music, the Cree like, get to Enoch, and and um, the the Cree like, axes through Enoch's face, and and Cassius is, um, he goes, he's walking towards the other yo-yo, because he's going to use her for something, and they're forming this plan, and then there's Cree inside, like, the little, like, not the spa area, but the other area that Cassius was always in. I don't know what call that throne room, I guess I'm going to say. Cassius' <laughs> throne room. Um, and they're kind of trying to form a plan together, but then they're like, oh shit, because they see Flint outside floating with all these rocks, and all of a sudden, these he pushes all the rocks through the, the window, and the Kree gets sucked out. Uh, it's just very, it's a very dramatic, weird editing situation, but it's very effective, I think. Um, we're just showing, showing the stakes of everything that's happening. Um, and then Deke shows up just in time to save Enoch. Like, 
he's about to get smashed and then Duke shows up with a gun, I guess, to shoot the Kree through the head. And um, the Kree somehow like bumps against the machine and it's like, now it needs to be repaired. And um, Deke is like, dude, can we like, can we fix you? And he looks like, yeah, but I think our efforts would be best uh, made towards fixing that. <laughs> and he points at the, at the broken machine and the fuck. Um, so uh, Flint is kind of like checking out the rocks and um, he's like, oh, you know, kind of looking at what he's done. And um, the rest of the team shows up uh, without Yo-Yo, obviously, because she's still with other Yo-Yo or elsewhere. And um, Mac and Fitz are talking and he's like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 my fiance. And Mac's like, fiance, what? Like, he, so he finds out that they're engaged finally. And then um, they realize that Yo-Yo is not there. And Mac is like, what? And so he grabs the shotgun axe. He goes to find Yo-Yo. And Coulson's like, hurry up, because we got to all be here when the, the portal opens. And May goes up to talk to Flint. And she's like, you're Flint? And he's like, yeah. And he's still kind of like checking out the rocks, like feeling them and stuff. And they just have this really charming exchange. And she's like, you're going to save us. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he just has this like really sweet smile. And May's like, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> and I don't know. I just really, I don't know what it was about this exchange, but I just really, I don't know. It was really cute. And I really enjoyed it. It was like May connecting to a May that she's never going to know. Um, like through Robin um, and like something that came out of that relationship was like this, this boy is going to, to, to help them. And she's a part of that. It seems like, so I don't know. It's a very may, it's a very may being affectionate as much as she can exchange with a kid <laughs> at this point, I guess. Um, but it's, but it's nice. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's it's really nice. Anyway, so he begins to, like, build the monolith, and I, so he's, like, pulling, it looks like this, again, we have another sand effect. When did we have that? That was, like, from when, uh, when, uh, um, Ward was not Ward anymore, he was, um, Hive? Hive, yeah, like, the sand is like getting pulled from the rocks into the monolith. And it's just like a really simple effect, but it's really cool looking and it's really effective. Like you really just, it's just, I don't know. They do it. Like, I feel like the budget is not as big for this season. Um, and it's very dark, but some of the effects that they've been doing, like, like the, like you said, the art direction with like the beheading of the Cree <laughs> and things like this, it's like very effective and it's good for what it is. I agree, um, and I, th I think, like, in the case of this, it's like, maybe, like you said, maybe they kind of reusing some of yeah. that special effects technology that they developed and made use of for the sand effect, but they're making smart use of it. It makes yes. it makes more sense, arguably, now than it did when he was a microscopic being made of dust, <laughs> I guess. I guess that's what I microbes mean. are. I guess are microbes <laughs> dust? Don't worry about it. How do you show microbes? Oh, we can't? Fuck. Oh, when he's like sucking away people's like body parts to like he was either gonna be squid but if he was if he was a squid then he would just be starro the starfish mind controlling <laughs> alien from dc comics who by the way they they rehabilitated him because of the way starfishes are like they defeated this giant alien conqueror and it's the stupidest thing but but it's the best like hey here's where, where comics are weird thing dc has been this weird churn where like in the background for the last several years they've been constantly having one of their like 
crisis crises on infinite earths where it's all the dark multiverses that are destroyed every time an old uh scary what if or alternate universe story is done with are like unhappy that their universes are destroyed so they're all uniting together to invade the real dc universe it's all culminating in this nonsense but as part of this story batman took in a cutting of this psychic starfish called Starro the Conqueror and put it in a jar and it regrew as a little <laughs> tiny starfish who wants to be the best Robin that there's ever been, whose name is Jaro because he's Starro in a jar. No! And, and, he's, <laughs> and, he's, and he's the most powerful psychic in the DC universe and he's the most like pure of heart hero because all he wants to do is make Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman proud. Wow, and he's and he's like a fish. He's like a pet. Who is the who's responsible? For this? Uh, Scott Snyder, who uh, he's also the one who like his big claim to fame after being really famous on Batman and running Batman comics that were like supposed to be intellectual and kind of heady and kind of like dark and 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 moody at first, but then he became more and more like bombastic and kind of like like classic superheroy. He he culminated it all by by, by doing. What if all the magical metals, you know, in the DC universe were all connected somehow? And he made this big story called DC Metal. I mean, there's death metal and dark metal. <laughs> this is literally, it's just him like looking right at the camera and smiling and being like, get it, get it. It's just him being having the most fun as he's like working his way through everything that let him write and writing out his career. Like I more power to him. It's nonsense, but it's a wow. it, is, it is a lot of fun. It is Im- almost impenetrable. Like I I have a deep understanding of all this nonsense. Like that is much more than anyone should. And even I find a lot of it like, well, I don't know where this is going or where it's going <laughs> because it's just insane. Like it's just absolute gibberish. But uh Jaro. But but the the weird squid nonsense of uh, of Hive reminded me of Jara a little bit because <laughs> how did they get like like I, I get that microbes are invisible and and what were they going to be tiny or large squids like flying around <laughs> they needed some effect but how did they end up with sand it's like uh, what represents. Uh, 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 disease. The people they, were, they were inspired hell. by the mummy. Like, oh, that's, that's probably that's my it. only explanation for that. <laughs> it's like, what's an effect that is effect? You know, like that we've seen in show business before. That I think I think you're right. Somebody sucking the you know the biological fuel off of some, another body. Did, did I mention <laughs> before my last digression? I mentioned before on the show that I've recently heard a lot of people think that Billy Zane was in The Mummy? Yes, I thought Billy Zane was in The Mummy too. I only recently realized that that is not Billy Zane, like maybe three years ago. It made me think of you though because you because you are a big Mummy fan and I was like, that's insane. Like, who would ever think that? I just had no idea that anyone believed that, but it's, it is. It's like really... It, like a lot of people thought that I, I heard people like saying it with authority on a podcast. I'm like, what are they talking about? Billy Zane yeah. in the mummy. I'm like, who would yeah. he have been in the mummy? I'm like, Oh, because he's bald. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Bald with like good eyebrows and like, you know, bone structure. Also bringing it back to shield from the mummy. I just watched a rewatched a show uh, with John Hanna. So. That oh, nice. I have a, something also connected to the mummy. I don't think I've talked about it. Cause I don't think we've recorded since I started watching it. But I know you've mentioned Doom Patrol on here before. I remember yes. you mentioning it, but for whatever reason, it never connected to me that Brendan Fraser was in it. 
<laughs> I don't know why it didn't connect with me, but Billy was like, actually, it was mentioned on his stupid um, Scrubs podcast, Doom Patrol was. And so he was like, oh, we need to watch this because Brendan Fraser was like a guest on their podcast. Um, it was talking about it. And we start watching it. I'm like, what the fuck? How come nobody told me about it? <laughs> he was like in this, but like, for some reason, like, I don't know, like, I, it just never clicked with me that you... That's that's what you were saying. <laughs> I, I was trying. So. You know, you were you really did try to help me, and I just like I don't know, just never, never. That's funny. Got to my brain that that's what was really happening. But anyways, so we, we, are watching, we are watching Doom Patrol now, and it's wonderful because he is a sad robot daddy, and it's the best. And I I don't know, it's that show is fucking ridiculous. We just we. Well, we we had to stop watching it for a little bit, but we just got to the episode with the guy who eats the hair out of the drain. Oh, He's the yeah. beard. What is he? The 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 beard hunter. Yeah. And we were like, "What the fuck?" Oh, no. <laughs> it's insane. It's an insane TV show. I I very much enjoy it, but it's absolutely bonkers and yeah. little, little to no sense a lot of times. It's what's weird though is they do make. Big changes, like all the adaptations from comics or, or anything, yeah. and, I, and that's no way a criticism. But I do think one thing that's interesting about it is that, like, comparatively, compared to all the other DC stuff, especially the films, but even, even I think the TV shows that do a pretty good job, and compared to all the Marvel stuff, it is the closest to the source material. Like, really? Like, <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, a lot of it's taken directly from the super weirdest comics because that's what it became like it started off very much the same thing as as uh, x-men and, and fantastic four it was just a yeah. riff on that same idea yeah. Out, weird outsiders but it became like just about being weird comics and grant it was where grant morrison really got to like kind of stretch his legs and be super super weird like other writers had kind of broken the mold on a few other things including morrison working on animal man but it's like it was just the one it it, it, it gave birth to vertigo to the the yeah. very long running like decades long imprint of that became indie comics and through yeah. dc that became stuff that was self-published or owned creator owned published by dc and uh yeah and it's where like a lot of really great stuff came from and a lot of stuff that's not as good or it doesn't hold up because almost invariably those old dudes is that who were like bastions of liberal thought quote unquote or whatever and it just does seem like they actually tried to be progressive you know for a long time they end up doing shit like just becoming super uh transphobic as time goes on yeah or, or just like not being willing to uh accept criticism of their old stuff too some of them like like more yeah. so but either way uh uh yeah it's I love Doom Patrol. Highly recommend it. Um, glad you, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I think the first time I mentioned it, I probably did fail to mention Brendan Fraser because I was mentioning because Alan Tudyk is in it and he's yeah. on the list of like most comic book people. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's a great show. Matt Bomer is great in it. Uh, everybody, oh, yeah. saying uh, Guero. That uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm into it. Diane Guerrero, yeah. Um. She's really good in it. Like I, I watched. I haven't watched. I think I only watched two seasons of Orange Is the New Black. But I read her memoir, and she is. Um, she was undocumented. You know, her entire family was undocumented, brought here from Colombia. I want to say, 
and her parents were deported and she was left here. And so she essentially like was in high school and was staying at various friends' houses until she graduated and was like old enough to like go to college and like get like papers. That's <laughs> super impressive. Like for sure. It's fucking crazy. Like highly I forget what it's called. Let me look it up really quick. But her memoir is like when, and she's done such a good job like on all the stuff she's been on and like she's definitely was typecast in stuff like Orange is the New Black and even uh uh, uh, Jane the Virgin, but like in this, she actually gets a chance to like really show a lot of range and everybody in it. Uh, April Bowlby as well, who was on like Two and a Half Men, you know, plays Rita, is like, like I thought she was good at that ditzy part, but you didn't really know, like she never had a chance yeah. to play anything else. And now she's like, it's oh, it's weird because the character she plays is like like that ditzy part, but in a meta way and like. She's incredible. <laughs> yeah, she's really incredible. Like this role really shows her range, but it um, does. Yeah, it's really they all they all do a great job. And what's his face? Uh, he is couldn't be cast better uh, as Niles Calder uh, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Dude, where is Timothy her? Dalton? Is mm-hmm. absurdly good. The only thing I like him better in is Hot Fuzz, where he is the bad guy. Spoil for Hot Fuzz. Oh, He's God, one I of the bad guys, <laughs> and he confesses. Every scene he's in the movie, like the first time he shows up, he's like, I'm a slasher, arrest me. And these guys like, what? Goes, I'm slashing prices because he ran to go to the grocery store. But like he, he literally confesses to killing people at the fir- at the way he introduces himself every scene and then he backtracks it. And it's like, so when, when there's finally the reveal, it's just like, well, yeah, he tried to tell us. <laughs> and he just has a giant shit eating grin the whole time. And he looks like... Look, still looks like James Bond, even though he's an old man. Yeah. Like he's just this great-looking old British bastard. Uh, um, so the name of um, Diane Guerrero's book is "The In the Country We Love: My Family Divided." I'll have to check that out. That's I, I've I've enjoyed her work, and I had heard just a little bit about her story, but not. I I, I definitely haven't had a chance to read that, and I feel like yeah, um, soundbite isn't the same as. Is that the audiobook is quite excellent? Like, oh, she cool. narrates the audiobook. Um, it's good. That's okay. right. I have to check that out. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how I think we got here, but somehow Jaro the starfish. Oh, got yeah. Us. It's because it's a special <laughs> effect. It's a, somehow the hive special effect got us all the way to Doom Patrol. But hey, Doom Patrol is a good, good recommendation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so back to Shield. Um, Yo, Mac hears Yo-Yo screaming, but we know it's not our Yo-Yo. We know it's the other Yo-Yo, and it's a trap. And um, Cassius lures Mac into the uh, arena, and Cassius is holding on to other Yo-Yo with a knife to her throat. And he's like, you know, she's obviously terrified because she doesn't want to watch Mac die again. Um, but Cassius doesn't give her that chance because he drinks the odium and then he slits her throat again. Another fucking violent act against this woman. And Mac uh, has to battle two Kree guards and a crazy uh, berserker Cassius. And <laughs> this, this scene is so fucking good because he just like he smacks Cassius with the, act, the shotgun axe and then he takes it into shotgun mode and he shoots the two Kree guards like no problem, takes them out and sh- turns around and shoots Kasai's in the chest, but obviously Kasai's doesn't go down because he's taken the odium and then they 
battle it out and he has his I just love that we got to see like two aspects of the shotgun axe being used in this scene because I don't think we've seen that in a while it was just very satisfying <laughs> um so meanwhile Deke and Enoch are trying to fix the time machine portal opener thing and Enoch admits um he might be the only thing that can power this gateway. Um, and he, and, and Deke is like, what does that mean? Um, and he's like, well, it uh, will cease to exist. Um, and he says, once, once I die, my battery will essentially like combust and consume his physical body and explode. And it will kill everyone for several floors. And Deke's like, yeah, probably not the guy, probably also the guy who's like, you know pushing the button <laughs> so Deke is like all right um and Enoch's like I think Deke asks him like uh are you okay doing this and Enoch is like yes I am willing to do what it takes to save my friend <laughs> so sweet um the monolith is ready and Coulson radios Deke and is like are we ready to go and Deke's like yeah let's do this so Deke and Enoch are gonna sacrifice themselves to save everybody and it's like he's gonna do the hero thing and it's i don't know it's just it's i this show it's all the feels they do a good they they do a good job (laughs) they do a good job pressing your buttons i think that's why because they because they've shown such like skillful arrangement of all the different plot elements and character elements because they are so good at the emotionally manipulative stuff when it's not offensive i think when it when they do have missteps it hurts and that was the other thing i forgot because of the momentum of our digressions but my my one second thing the culprit i'm going to blame is jeff Loeb. i don't see a reason why not to at this point i agree because he clearly doesn't like asians or latinos so of yeah, course. and we just know he's regressive. Like, <laughs> God, the way he treated Peter Shinkotov is criminal. Like, yeah. if not literally, definitely, yeah. <laughs> like, morally. <laughs> I could definitely see him pushing that we need to, like, traumatize Yo-Yo over and over again. Yeah, like, and just pushing, like, oh, no, this is the best way we can we see. We get a link to the comics. It's like, we're, there's so few yeah. links to the comics, you know, these oh, days. Yeah. So we should really cut off the Puerto Rican woman's arms. Also, remember, she's not Puerto Rican in this. Like, we changed that for no reason. Like, why? why yeah, she's Colombian, but she's actually a Mexican actor. Like, it's just right, right. They changed the character. All the brown people are the same. It's fine. <laughs> like that, 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 that source material to adaptation uh, difference plus cast. You know, casting. You know, all brown, universal Latinx. Yeah. You know, identity idea. Like, is definitely. It's like every way they could possibly not put thought into it they did and and, yeah. and it's only the strength i think of of jed and mo especially and and the the ship they ran and and uh talia's acting that we yeah. got as good as we did and we did we, we lucked out because those people were fighting it i think yeah i think you're right i'm glad you mentioned that because i absolutely 100 percent believe that he is at fault for all of these things. <laughs> all of our weird questions where it's like why does Jia ying feel like they tried to make it better but then it still feels regressive it's like it's because yeah. it's that guy and in a guy who literally has killed off women in comics before he's not yeah. the worst by, by he's and, not ron and, mars the guy who, who who wrote the story that fridging gets the name yeah. from <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. simone coined it but it was about a story ron mars wrote it's a, yeah I know. Yeah. Well, think about it too. Sonara, Asian actress. Uh, Jai Ying, Asian. <laughs> Natalia. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Chloe Bennett lucked out just because she's the star of the show. They can't really. But even she, even even yeah. she, her powers are breaking her bones and it hurts. Yeah, so she has to be punished. You know, Mac is constantly has, having to be taken away. Yeah, Mac is always being reminded that all he is good for is like what he is physically, like and, and being used as a tool. And uh, he is constantly losing members of his family, and like oh, and, and and traumatized. Yeah. Just traumatizing him over and over again. I mean, it's not like they're going to go easy on the white people, but at the same time, the brunt of it goes to these people of color. Like, it's not, it, it, they, they, don't, they don't pull any punches because the writing staff is just putting them through high drama, I think. But when you think about how how it, it actually goes down, it is, it's concentrated on people of color. Gratz gross. Yeah. Way to go, Jeff Lowe. <laughs> yeah, great. I, I mean, not to say that, like, you know, Gemma and Fitz and Coulson have not gone through hell, and Ward have not gone through hell either, but it's just kind of, you know. When you think about how it's all played out, all, I mean, all of them but Coulson have all their body parts. Yeah. Yeah. Fitz even got a do-over. Right? <laughs> I mean, when you think about it that way. <laughs> And Coulson gets constant do-overs. Like white people, they'll traumatize him, but but even if they die, we'll bring him back good as new. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Anyway, um, we just like you said, the emotional beats with, with between Deke and Enoch, and just like how quickly this is only t- episode ten. We've only had them for ten episodes, and we're already very attached to these characters. And it's really sad and really beautiful that they're going to sacrifice themselves for a future they will never see. <laughs> it's yeah. very Rogue One. It's very Rogue One of them. Well, Deep does end up getting to see it, but he doesn't know that now. No, he's he's <laughs> intending to, to to do good. He doesn't know he, that. He think you know, like his full intention here was. I mean, even like by not going with them, like to the to the past or whatever. Like he's going to have to live in this future that's horrible still. Like, meanwhile, the team gets to go be in a future that's different. Like, even that alone, I think with, like, Tess and Flint is a lot, too. Um, oh, yeah. It's like, so that so that everybody else can, can have a better life, and they still have this. You know, they have better than what they were given at the beginning of this season, but just, you know, it's, it's weird. It's... When you start thinking about it like that, like all of this seems like way more tragic. <laughs> and I think they intended Agreed. it to be. <laughs> so anyway, um, Coulson tells Flint, he's like, hey, uh, you need to go get everybody to safety because that machine is going to blow up. Um, and Flint's like, uh, but Mac and Yo-Yo haven't come back yet. And Coulson's like, no. And Flint's like, okay, well, I'm going, but tell them that I have more work to do. And it's really sad he doesn't get to say goodbye. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Cassius is still beating the shit out of Mac in the arena. And uh, uh, he's getting real close to, to killing him. Um, and oh, he Gemma- says he says one like great line of crazy person on Roid Rage. So he's like, I'm going to beat you. What, I'm going to beat your something with your skull. I can't remember. Beat you to death with your own skull or something like that. Just- I was just like, oh, whoa, he's lost it. Like, 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 oh, shit. And I was like, I, I couldn't help but be taken out of it a little bit. The acting was good. The direction was good. The choreography was good. But I just couldn't help but think like even with 
fucking super superhuman steroids i don't believe that guy could throw throw around uh henry simmons i'm like yeah sure sure guy but also like the fact that it's been very obvious that Cassius is not a warrior and he like is not interested in that life at all so suddenly that him having this like ability to like you know have this level of combat even though it's like supernatural at some point like it's still just like oh okay like and you're Look what you're wearing. Like you are not a warrior. Like, his, fa- his fancy dress. I do. I do feel like on some level too, it's a testament to the character of Mac because I, I think both you and I are pretty good at the willing suspension of disbelief most of the yeah. time. And so this is a guy who just took a super steroid, and he's already erased that. Like even though he doesn't yeah. work out and fight, he's also like ten times stronger than a normal human. So yeah. he should be able to go toe to toe with Mac, and he's like literally throwing him against the wall and like kicking him in the face, and Mac's just like getting back up and punching him, <laughs> again, which makes it makes it. I appreciate what they're doing for the character of Mac yeah. by having him be as tough as he is, but at the same time, it's like give him a break. <laughs> stop punching our guy. Stop punching our guy. Um, so, so yeah, Mag is just getting the shit beat out of him, and Cassius is about to land, probably the killing blow, and Gemma shows up just in time, and she puts that little earbug thing in his ear, and it is the sweetest of sweet revenge, um, because Cassius is just like, ah! and then Mac switches his shotgun to the axe part of the shotgun axe and puts it through his chest. And now Mac is really sad because he thinks Yo-Yo's dead. And he's like, Gemma, like, Yo-Yo, like, and he's just like, can't even speak. And then our Yo-Yo comes running around the corner and screams his name and they're reunited. And it's just this really sweet moment. And he's just like holding her like, fuck, like he almost lost her. Like, I, I just, he's already <laughs> lost so much, dude. Like, this is like, I'm so glad he didn't lose her again. Yeah. In February of 2018, uh, Mac, uh, Mac, the character, and uh, us as the viewers' hearts broke, and Jeff Lowe like cackled in glee as oh, he, yeah. as he yeah. got away with fridging, but then undoing, and then hitting yeah. the undo button on it. Yeah, again, <laughs> this is the third woman that uh, that's happened with. The second one in this last two episodes. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, um. So poor Enoch is dying. He's hooked up to the machine and he's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it much longer, but everybody is not back yet. And so Coulson's like, we got to hurry up. Like, what the fuck? Like, and Deke is like, we got to go now. Like, this isn't, he's not going to last much longer. And Fitz gets on comms with Enoch and he begs him to hang on. He's like, you've done so good up until now. Just a little bit longer, my friend. And it's just so sweet. (laughs) And then... Mac and Yo-Yo and Gemma are sprinting down the hallway. Coulson is ready. He's like standing at the monolith holding unconscious Daisy in his arms. And May is like, you know, she'll never forgive you, right? And he's like, I have to hope. The machine turns on. Deke gets maybe blown up in an explosion because we don't, we don't get to find out because it just explodes on us. The monolith does its like liquidy thing and it just covers the, it does this, you know, the shot where it just covers the camera and we don't know who makes it. And and Deke, Deke gets to be uh, uh, Danny Glover right before the toilet explodes in Lethal Weapon 2, where he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, son of a... And it cuts right before. Making it family-friendly once again. 
maybe it, it, it is it is effective though considering all the things that have happened this in this episode saying son of a bitch like probably would have been the least offensive thing but how weird is it that in america it's like they're quicker it's like okay we can have make sure you show clearly we can only show one of the heads slide off the body <laughs> can he only say bitch one time people don't like it that's a such a nasty word ridiculous it's like we can't show nudity it's like oh a woman's breast oh a man's butt oh these are gonna warp a kid's brain show show another bit where a person explodes like they're a water balloon filled with meat <laughs> Yeah. Do one of those. Do one of those or scenes instead. Slice, slice like a woman's throat. Like yeah, just, slice her throat know. after you show that she's traumatized by losing her arms. Can you do yeah. that? And has little, been tortured. Should for, see that. And has been tortured for generations at this point. Make, make sure someone with a second grade reading level understands that she's been tortured indefinitely. Yeah. God. Like well, yeah. Very, yeah. Gross. Still, <laughs> it's so gross. The very end scene is Flint and Tess are in the in the cockpit of the trawler, and um, they're talking about how they, you know, nobody knows if Deke survived. Like they never found his body. They never, you know, he never showed up again. So they're assuming that he's gone because he was, you know, blown up in the Zephyr, most likely. And yeah, it, se- it seemed it seemed almost when she said like, or when Flint said that he couldn't have escaped, you know, the monolith's blast. Like it felt like he was almost posing the question that we end up finding out like he's like mm-hmm. he's either dead or he got caught up you know and what they got caught up in yeah but, 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 but like because i i i kind of i thought of, i kind of thought about it and I, I wasn't sure it felt like because they weren't as sad as they would have been it felt like if it was just saying he definitely was dead it felt like yeah. they, they were trying to hold on to some hope but mm-hmm. i definitely didn't get that in the first viewing because i just didn't even think of him going with them you know yeah i didn't either because we didn't know who he was at this point either right which is weird because I thought that was revealed in this half of the season, but I guess it wasn't because obviously here we are. <laughs> it makes sense. It must be right. It must be sometime after. It's definitely before the end because we know he knows, yeah. you know, when Fitz is dying or whatever. Right? Yeah. But but I do feel like he uh, he finds out maybe after the lemons <laughs> and before that. Maybe. Well, I know that him and Gemma have a whole conversation like in the hallway like and they realize that they're related and right that's coming up soon yeah this is like well we have like at least 12 episodes till the end so maybe like not soon soon but soon before the end of the season anyway as as soon (laughs) at least as soon as when uh the other uh yo-yo showed up we started saying it would be soon uh on episode two (laughs) eight episodes ago Our sense of like timing, it, we just have none. We have none. <laughs> um, so anyway, they're kind of assuming te- uh, Tess and Flint are assuming that sh- the Shield team made it back at this point because they just don't know. They'll just never know. Um, and they're looking at Earth that is like cracked and you know a-, a mess. And Tess holds up the little Earth ball that Virgil had, and. She's like, all right, get to work. Here's your blueprint. And so Flint is going to remake the Earth. And I forgot that that was a thing. And it's really beautiful. <laughs> oh, it is. And it explains why they kept b- being taking pains to show us that there was already a few people on the Zephyr. And they tried to evacuate as many as they could and everything. It's like they they have a little bit of, of people left, you know, yeah. between, the, between the people that 
that survived everything that just went down with their little coup and then people were already on the zephyr on the surface it's like it's not a ton but they have enough to maybe restart and now they actually have a chance because he can build a planet fucking powerful pretty cool that's really cool and he did a really great job to rebuild the earth the, the, and and the, the guy who plays him does a really good job, I think. Yeah, I agree. I like that actor. Good. I like that we get to see him again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Coy Stewart, who uh, <laughs> I mentioned, I think, in either his first episode or the episode, first episode that he was in substantially. I recently uh, saw another stuff because I, I did end up out of boredom watching all of uh, The Blacklist. So, uh, Bill, yeah, so Billy yeah. would know him from that too. He's a hacker. Yeah. He's a hacker. He's basically Daisy from season one, <laughs> where he's an illegal hacker who's got a heart of gold. Oh, okay. okay. So he—that's why he works for James Spader, who's the criminal who constantly <laughs> lectures people for doing bad stuff. He's like, "Listen, I just shot six people in the face, but your pharmaceutical company has unscrupulous <laughs> practices." But the way they construct it, I'm like, "Listen, I know it's stupid, but he's right. He's right." <laughs> like, you got to admit. Oh. oh god all right well that i'm assuming that this is the mid-season finale but yo-yo like was going to be in like episode four so i'm not sure we could be wrong it's, we're <laughs> definitely around the halfway point of both the number and content of the story so yeah. it's virtually if it's not the mid-season finale we'll treat it as one <laughs> yeah. all right let's end here um don't know what's gonna happen next episode. Genuinely yeah. doubt. <laughs> I know it has something to do with a Disney Channel actor, Talbot, and the Disney Channel actor's mean mom. Yep, yep. That's and all Deke, I remember. Deke and Zima and Lemons. That's all oh, I remember. Yes. Some some funniness in addition to the overacting. Yep. Alrighty. Where can people find you? I can be found occasionally at I Snow Nothing Morning Democracy. Oh. Uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, where do you prefer to be found? Uh, I can be found at Space Chess with four S's in the Jess. Also, Morning Democracy. <laughs> uh, <sighs> um, you can find this podcast at Project Tahiti. Um, you can send us an email at projecttahitipod at gmail.com. We're on all the podcatchers. Uh, if you are a browser listener, go to butwhythopodcast.com and listen there. We do post embeds. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Catch you later. Bye.